For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everybody, this is in Liberty and Health. I got a pretty awesome guest that I've been looking forward to speaking to for quite a while now. Uh, Buck Johnson. Buck, how you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I you you've already said that I'm awesome, so now it's a high bar. <laughs> nah, dude. Uh, all the guests I've had on have been absolutely phenomenal, and I'm sure you'll be uh, no exception to that. Um, I kind of came across you when this whole post-libertarian thing kind of came around, and. I feel like that's such like, I don't want to say necessarily a misnomer, but I don't know that I like that term because I feel like the people haven't abandoned the principles of libertarianism. They're just kind of saying like, look, what we've been doing is not working. So we're going to find another route. Um, you know, what do you think about that? I think it's very uh, rare and nice to hear someone sum it up in a much more sensible way than a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> that, that that pretty much uh, hits the general uh, feeling. What you just said, I would I would agree with. And it, you know, it, I always wonder who people are referring to when they use that term. I have an idea generally that there's a handful of us, but I should say, even amongst let's say ten of us, we don't necessarily agree on on like everything down the line. Right. Um, so it's not like we're just uh this amorphous bubble or, or like that we all are you know you are post-libertarian and therefore you think xyz so yeah and, and that's kind of what it seems like to me and i maybe it's just because the way i am i don't know but i try to leave as much dogma out as possible and especially ever since i talked to tho i know you're pretty cool with tho but um I had a lot of assumptions about his character and who he was just listening to him in podcasts and to give a brief background on who I am. Um, I'm a mechanic, right? I've been a mechanic for 10 years. I come from a long line of uh, people who've owned shops here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. Nice. And I've, I've been surrounded by boomer cons my entire life. So I know these kind of people and your typical Republican incredibly well. And, and obviously everybody's different, but you kind of get a feeling of what those people who they kind of line up in a similar fashion to put it bluntly. Um, and like I said, I had these preconceived notions of Tho and people kind of like him who have the GOP route on the mind and think that's the best way to go about it. And after talking with him, 
I really let my guard down to that those kind of people and really opened my mind to okay well maybe the LPMC or the Libertarian Party isn't the only strategy and maybe I should start considering you know what these people have to say in more good faith and ever since then um I'm not quite so dogmatic about just thinking it's the LP or nothing like I'm beginning to see there's a lot more merit with these GOP guys because he even admitted like look dude i've criticized trump for this i've criticized trump for that but we're trying to come along to these people's fellow travelers we want to meet people where they're at and then we're going to see if we can pull more in our direction and get what we want done by using their vehicle pretty much and and that's a pretty crude way to put it but after listening to him kind of say it the way that he said it i just realized that there's a lot of merit to that and seeing some of the stuff that's kind of gone on in the libertarian party even over the last two years it i haven't given up but sometimes i feel like we're spinning the wheels a little bit and i hope that changes yeah uh i <laughs> i would agree that you, you could be spinning the wheels a little bit i don't suspect it's going to change although uh you know i'm not certainly out to crap on anyone's um route that they want to take for for a, a, a vision of the future that I think most of us probably uh, have in common. So it's just that I personally am not into the LP route, but I was for a long time. I did it for 20 years. Yeah, dude, that's a hell of a long time. I've only been doing it for, uh, I voted libertarian in 16 and in this last election. And it's not like I thought either of them were bad candidates, but you know, looking back at it now, it's like, I see where they went wrong because you had such an opportunity and in 2024, it's going to be no different, especially if we're talking about running Hillary Clinton. Mm. I mean, like, good Lord, there's no better opportunity for, you know, a good libertarian candidate to run and get the message out there. They're more than likely not going to win, but like, you look at that and how can people not say that the libertarian party has not been objective failure? And I don't want to shit on the people that do good work in there because, look, in Pennsylvania, we have over 100 elected libertarians and they may not be like major spots, but there's some mayors. Um, That's good. Yeah, there's different stuff there. But, um, you know, if you're looking at it on a national level, it's an objective failure. Now, is it going to change? I would sure hope so. It seems like it, but I don't know. But, um, you know, it seems like you've kind of written it off and really i don't blame anybody for writing it off especially someone like you who uh has experience with it so um i guess kind of detail out your history with the libertarian party since you were with it for a while i didn't know that you were that involved for that long yeah i I, uh let's see when i moved to austin it was in 98 and i i was already political a bit even in my teenage years excuse me real quick Sorry, I don't want to clear my throat. <laughs> You're good. On my mic. Um, I, I was already political. I was into secession movements and stuff like that. And when I got to Austin, Alex Jones had a radio show on the FM dial. Can't imagine that now. But he did back then. <laughs> he, he was a, uh, a public access uh, show host as well. So everyone kind of knew who he was. I was in the punk rock type scene and. Everyone just kind of knew who he was. I don't think a lot of normies did back then, but so I started listening to him and a friend of mine, Jack Blood, was a kind of conspiracy uh, theory radio host on that network as well. So I got to know a couple of the people, not Alex, unfortunately, but he started having Ron Paul on and that was prior to 2000. And then 
somehow through Ron Paul and hearing Alex Jones, I got this book by Harry Brown called The Great Libertarian Offer. And it was 99 or 2000. And while Harry Brown ran for the LP uh, ticket as, as president in, in 2000. So I, that's when I kind of started. And I got into the Libertarian Party in Austin and would go to meetings. And there was like six people. Uh, and I, you know, I'm young, so I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. And then there were times over the years. So then 2004, Michael Badnerick ran as the, as the nominee and he was from Austin. So it was a bigger deal to people in Austin. And that kind of got a bigger crowd a little bit because people knew who he was from this area. And that would get like 20 people, sometimes 30. And I would, over the years, I started noticing like, that's weird. I leave these meetings and it hits me that no one said anything libertarian outside of some of the way people looked kind of outlandish if if a, a fly on the wall was you wouldn't know what political party it was if they took out uh, the word libertarian as far as the parliamentary functions and hey we got to vote for this blah 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 david's roberts rules of order all that stuff so there was no i was kind of thinking we were going to be talking philosophy and like authors and stuff like that never 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 and so i continued to be somewhat involved, although I was in my 20s, so I was single in Austin um, as a musician. And so, you know, <laughs> there's other things on my plate at that time, too, of course. <laughs> and so, and then in 2007, I remember reading in the Austin Chronicle, which is like the alternative music magazine that a lot of big cities have. They're all kind of done the same way, uh, you know, very, very left leaning, but a lot of music and art and entertainment features. And it said in this, I always read the political section, and it said Ron Paul is putting his name in the hat for the Republican nomination in 2008. And I was like, holy shit. I remember calling my dad, and I was like, dad, Ron Paul's going to run as a Republican. He was like, oh, he's crazy. And even after that, I was like, no way, he's going to win this shit. And so I started making my own Ron Paul revolution signs. That was before that they, they made them uh, as something you could buy. I was literally sitting at work with the stencils, making them. And at night, I would go put them up all over town. And uh, I became a delegate, Republican delegate for Ron Paul. And then we went to this convention in the, the state convention. Luckily, it was in Austin, so I didn't have to travel far. But it hit me then. I was like, holy shit, they do not want us here. And I was kind of a, an eye-opening. There was a lot of red pills along that, that route, one being the way the media treated him. Again, I was naive. I thought like, Oh, Fox News is going to like him because he's the ultimate Republican. I mean, like he's the <laughs> version and nope, that didn't work. And then I got to that convention and, I was, and they were like telling us basically like, we will wait here all night. We will change the rules. McCain is going to win this and Ron Paul and all of you people will be out of this. And so then at that moment, I was like, all right, y'all had your chance. I'll never vote Republican again in my life. And then 2012, I kind of I got involved a little bit, but stayed a little bit on the on the uh, outside of the campaign, but voted for Ron Paul, of course, in the primaries. Oh, by the way, in 2008, I ended up voting for Bob Barr, who was the nominee for the LP. And again, in 2012, I think it was Gary Johnson then, and yeah. I voted for him. And then in 2016, we wanted was it no? It was 2020. We wanted uh, Jacob Hornberger. Jacob Hornberger. In yep. 2016. Uh, I guess I was fine with Gary Johnson because I actually went to some of his rallies and I voted for him then. And then in 2000, I suppose at the time it was 19 leading up to the election, we wanted uh, Jacob Hornberger. 
And so we started going again to the LP meetings. There was a little bit more people like than I mentioned earlier than five or six. There was probably, I don't know, 20, 25, 30, because leading up to the election season, people were becoming interested. And I will say something of, I thought was interesting. I saw some of the same people from 2000, and they're still running these pointless campaigns going, hey, well, who's going to run for District 8? Oh, I guess I will. And it's like, I remember thinking like, why the fuck are you wasting your time doing this shit? Like, you're if you're literally starting something that you're not going to win, why would you do this? This it made no sense to me. And once I, I'll also say this, I did meet some very good friends. There was an influx because of people like Scott Horton and, and uh, Dave Smith kind of promoting the LPMC and Jacob Hornberger on their podcasts. There was an influx of about seven of us in the LP at that moment in Austin. And I do still have very good friends from that grouping. Um, I've kind of removed myself and I don't even live in Austin. I'm 30 minutes outside, but I've removed myself from the LP aspect of it, but I am still friends with uh, many of those people. So that was a nice aspect of it. And then Joe Jorgensen gets it. And I was like, <laughs> I guess nothing's changed. And so at that <laughs> point, and then along the COVID year, 2020, um, I, I just kind of withdrew from libertarian party politics. And like you said, I still have a lot of, like, I believe in the philosophy uh, for the most part, but uh, running uh, around doing party politics. And I understand there's a lot of good people. I'm friends with a lot of people in the LPMC, but that's just not my thing at this point. And I, I moved to a smaller town and I am considering running for city council here and I don't need a political party to do that. And right. I certainly have a libertarian, an L next to my name, because no one that would not do anything good here. Yeah, well, you know what, I, I've, this has been something that I've really contended with over the last two years, is that, you know, should we be blind partisans to the Libertarian Party? And um, I've really began to think no, um, a lot of people in the LPMC or you know, even in the just Libertarian Party at large would say, yeah, you probably should. And, you know, there are plenty of lulberts out there that tell you, well, <laughs> vote for Hitler, you know, if he runs yeah. for the Libertarian Party, because it's, you know, the next chance you get, well, if we're going to run shitty people who aren't even Libertarians, then you, what's the point? Are we any better than Republicans or Democrats? Right. And people who want to claim that both parties are the exact same, you're going to find a lot of overlap at the federal level. But when you start getting down to the state level, that overlap starts to dissipate a little bit. And yeah. look, I, I'll, I'll criticize Ron DeSantis all day for pretty much being a neocon. But when it comes to, you know, keeping his people free and kind of fighting the COVID regime, he's really second to none. So I know some people may want to see him run as president, but honestly, I think he's made his best case as governor. And if he stays there... I don't think anybody should try to remove him. And what are you going to do? Run a libertarian who you know is going to lose? You know? I hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I, honestly, I hope not either. Unless there is some drastic change where he goes completely off the rails, which I don't think sure. is going to happen. Right. Then, right. Okay. Yeah. But I think libertarians, if they haven't over the last two years kind of woken up to see everything for what it is and say, like, look, we don't have like, you know, dilly dally time anymore. We're, you know, we're at the end of the ball field here. We have to start running Hail Marys or else, you know, <clears throat> shit's really going to hit the fan. But, you know, I think that's what the post-libertarian movement, as far as I can tell, is all about. It's like, look, 
we're not fucking around anymore. We don't care to sit here and read Robert's Rules of Orders and sit in a circle jerk and talk about Rothbard and Austrian economics in a bar with six people. We want to actually go out there and do something. If you can do that as a libertarian, do that. If you yeah. can do that as a Republican, do it. If you can even do it as a Democrat, do yep. it. Do something. Don't just sit here and you know wallow in your principles all day, every day, and then you know scream about the state because that gets you nowhere it, yeah. as we've clearly seen yeah and even this there's been I, I you know i see it on twitter i'm not involved in it but there's been all this drama of sorts with the, some of these states or something that has to do with the lp and i see people that i'm friends with like just ranting and raving and it's like okay i mean if they win their spot and they fuck you over somehow okay or if you end up fucking them over in reno for what like uh i don't i mean like what are you going to do with it you know so i i guess my one of my biggest confusing aspects of the lp itself is when people have these plans and i just go and and then and what like what if you don't plan to run to win then i'm not sure i don't get that part of it and i'll say this i understand probably ron paul didn't think he was going to win in 08 12 i thought so i was just naive he was on he was debating john mccain so if you're putting yourself in a camp that debates archie flowers it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't reach as many people and in 2012 sure. he's debating mitt romney and uh, even this year, we all loved Tulsi Gabbard. She got into a massive spotlight because she basically pulled the pants down of Kamala Harris on live TV and everyone saw it. Yep. Most people did not know who, outside of even like our circles. Most people didn't know who she was. And now I suspect she's she's got bigger plans. I can just tell from she's on Fox News all the time. Yeah, She's changing the tone of some of her uh, discussion. So uh, that's my main thing with the LP. It's and again, if you can run local races, I think that's cool that you, I didn't realize Pennsylvania had that many elected libertarians that I'm all for, because if you are planning to win, see, I just didn't see that in Austin because right. it's okay. just blue and these guys are like, Hey, we're going to want to run for County judge. And it's just like, you just act like right now you have no chance. Why are you doing this? Just to fill, fill a slot on the election ballot that, with the L next to it. That's pointless to me. Right. So they're doing what's called the Bolton maneuver. I don't know if you uh, know what that is. It's uh, basically they just try to fill up like all uncontested races or contested races that they may think they could win. So like I had a buddy of mine on my podcast who um, his name's Nathan and he ran for mayor and there was an incumbent. I, I want to say he was an incumbent for quite a while. And he was I want to say it was less than 10 votes away from beating him. But to be fair, a lot of these positions that people are getting here in Pennsylvania, order of elections, um, constables, where you only work on like no, two days I, a year. Okay. It's all minor stuff. But yeah. like I said, there are a few mayors. That's and awesome. uh, there are some people running as uh, like senators for different congressional districts. Um, I don't know how well some of them are doing. There's a uh, governor candidate, Joe Solosky, who I like the guy, but um, you know, when it comes to being, you know, the Rothbardian libertarian that everybody wants to hear and see, he's perhaps not perfectly that, but sure. um, he's been campaigning for a while. So I, I predict he'll do well. I don't know if he'll win. I sincerely don't because everybody absolutely hates Governor Wolf. 
Um, mm. You know, he was one of the worst governors in the country when it came to lockdowns, obviously not as bad as like New York and California. Mm. But um, I remember my fiance coming home and her telling me like, my work just gave me a slip if I get pulled over by the police for driving. <laughs> and like that was a big, you know, like waking up kind of moment. And like I said earlier, I'm a mechanic. I got laid off last year and my fiance, girlfriend at the time, had a letter in case you got pulled over for just going to work at that point right. if that doesn't wake you up to realize that like we have no time left to yeah, figure right. out what the best move is I, I don't know what will and there's still libertarians arguing about you know oh well should we physically remove homeless people on playgrounds like yes. dude i i don't care to have those arguments anymore and, and i don't care to have these ancapistan debates either like Okay, yeah, I consider myself an anarchist, but I'm not going to sit here and rant and rave about it. We're not going to have a long-winded conversation about it. Let's talk about how we can make people's lives better, right? Yeah. That's what this podcast is mostly about, in liberty and health, right? I'm yeah. all about fitness. I'm all about libertarianism. All, all about improving yourself. And I think we all should, and libertarians should probably take note, hey, maybe we should be a little bit better people so that way people want to hear what we have to say. If you're just this yeah. fat, lazy, uninspiring yeah. dude, yeah. no one – no one cares. Nobody yep. cares. If you still live with your parents and you're telling them how to rearrange government, nobody cares. Nobody's going to take you seriously. So, yep. you know, me, just like you, we're both blue collar guys, right? Musicians. We're both, you know, well-respected people in our communities. I'm not saying I'm the perfect guy, but, you know, at least I have more than just the fact I'm a libertarian. That's like the last thing I put on my resume of accomplishments, you know? Yes, I, yeah, exactly. I agree. I'm a firefighter too, for those that don't know that. I can't say which entity I work for, so that's otherwise I can tell you that I do that. Um, and it's funny, I, as I, I moved to this town that's maybe 13,000 people, and I've been, <laughs> I've been made aware that some of the people knew who I was, kind of, or now know who. And one of the things, this guy, this restaurant we like, uh, my wife went in there by herself and she mentioned that I was at work and that I was a firefighter. And he goes, Oh, I know a libertarian firefighter. And I was like, Ugh, like, you don't have to know me as the libertarian part of it. Like, it's just, yeah. Like I'd rather you know that I do a podcast and fight fires and I'm around the town. If you need help or something like that, <laughs> then you don't have to know the libertarian part of me. It's just weird. I suppose they will. Once I, 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 you know, if I get questions and stuff, if I, if I do run for office and I say all that, we had a, a renegade university event here at my house with like a hundred people and cars up down the street. So it didn't take long for me to make a splash of a political one in this town. Everyone's talking like, what are they doing over there? You know, and it was outdoors my, in my yard, we had a PA, so everyone heard, but yeah crazy <laughs> man all those libertarians over there drinking all the kool-aid man i, I could swore i saw somebody swindling something around the punch bowl man no that, I, um i did watch oh sorry no i will say i did i, I started meeting people around at little events at, about a month ago that thing was in october and i met a guy and he said yeah i saw some big event at your house because it's a small town everyone knows which house you live in and he said i saw a bunch of don't tread on me stickers on them all cars and he goes I knew these are my people. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it's not <laughs> that at least instead of like, oh, great, what? Yeah, like, oh, dude, all these crazy people are invading. But no, that's that's good to hear. Um, I did watch that video. That was, um, was that the one where Tho and uh, Matt were kind of going mm -hmm. back and forth? Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. And uh, your uh, video 
uh, what was that called? The Salatia or whatever the hell it was, Super Spider event, the live with uh, Mark and. Uh, oh, Lita. That was in Mexico. That was yeah. really fun. Yeah, that that was more fun than my thing in here, be only because uh, it's if things are at your house, there's an underlying level of stress where you always worry, like, are the neighbors going to call? Is this going to happen? Are the cops going to show up? I loved the thing here. Hotep Jesus was here. Jack the Perfume Nationalist. Thaddeus oh, wow. Russell. Um, it was it was all, Scott Horton. It was great. But man, you get away to a different country where everything's provided for you by the people putting it on. That's a little more stress free. That thing in Sayulita was was the best. Yeah, well, you know, I think that segues perfectly into uh, the music factor. So I play in a band called A Common Crown. We have, we're a you know female fronted band, even though we don't really like advertise that, just because she's not a real chicky kind of singer. Um, if you listen to us, you'll instantly understand what I mean. But um, we run a benefit up here. Um, at least my drummer, and my bass player, have hosted it for twenty three years. I think this year called Rock for Life, where they uh, give thousands of dollars to kids in need, kids with cancer, stuff like that. And it's this huge outdoor festival where usually anywhere from about three hundred to a thousand people show up, and uh, bands just play all day. There's usually like beer vendors, and they supply some food for you and give you some drinks. Um, that stuff's just really, really cool. Um, do you kind of do similar stuff like that down in Austin or, um, you know, what's uh, your music life kind of like down there? Is she wearing a minor threat shirt in this video? <laughs> Jen? Yeah. It's, I just, it's possible. It, I'm yeah, not exactly it's, sure. Fingerprint media, common crown. And it's yeah. Got a, yeah. She's wearing a minor threat shirt. All right. <laughs> I like that. Um, sorry. That got me distracted. Oh, no, no. You're good, man. You're good. I, I haven't played music. The 2020 year and 2021, I suppose, was a little bit of a breakup year for myself and some of the people that I played with, like unannounced. It's just kind of like one of those like, eh, okay. And I'm still friends with like my close circle of friends that are just strictly music people, not my political friends. Yeah. Still, I'm still friends with those guys. Um, but some of the people, I know this will shock you, in the music scene in Austin were so pro-mask and pro-lockdown. And we only had a lockdown in Texas yeah. for six weeks. And boy, these people, when that they lifted that, were just so upset. And here's my wife owns a salon. And it's like she was really red-pilled to the tune of black-pilled at some points over some of that. And it's just we're like these people that our – I guess we consider them our friends are basically wanting me to not work. This is nuts. And, and a lot of them, it's like, what it's, what's up these punk rock guys like promoting masks and now promoting Vax stuff. It's just like, geez, you, you guys fooled me then. Cause you look like posers now. Um, so I, I haven't played as much over the last couple of years. And funny, as as we as we record this, it's Thursday, January thirteenth. I play tomorrow night in Austin uh, for the first time, certainly of the new year, but the first time I played in Austin since I honestly cannot remember when. I don't remember when I last played there. It could have been February, the leap year day of twenty twenty, right before everything happened. I know I had a gig on that leap year night. Dang, as I speak this out, I think that's the last time I played 
Oh, no, it's not. I did it one or two other times uh, for a birthday party. But yeah, I, I quit playing for the most part. Uh, there's I live in Lockhart. There's a little honky tonk here. And there's a girl here with a couple of guys that moved from Austin. So I knew them all. And I'll do a gig with her here at this little spot. It's five minutes from my house. And I like that. And I'm old now. It's nine to 11 rather than these like <laughs> 11 p.m. to 1.30 a.m. Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Sorry. Yeah. And the one I took tomorrow, she's like, can you do it at such and such place in Austin? It starts at eight and goes to 930. I was like, all right, I can do that. And then I'll come back <laughs> home and sleep or drink. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's funny is I remember the exact show we played right before COVID all kind of started. It was February 2020, I want to say. We had two shows that month, so we released our CD, right? A four-song EP at, earlier in the month, and that show was packed, right? There's a, a venue called Mr. Spalls. They have, like, the main theater where you have bands like Guar, Camara, Hatebreed may fill up that place. And then the upstairs, there's, like, smaller bands that you may hear on, like, SiriusXM Octane. Um, okay. We kind of packed that room, which was pretty cool for our CD release. And then we played a show in this bar and I love playing this place. It's it's like out in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden there's a bar, like you could probably see tumbleweeds, you know, just spinning across the road. And then there's this bar and it's just like one long strip. And dude, it was packed wall to wall, front to back. Awesome freaking show. And I actually got food poisoning that day. I'm pretty sure oh. I, I, I puked my fucking guts out. I remember playing like halfway through a song. I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with me? Oh. But um, that was the last show we played. And I remember I have a poster actually sitting on top of my amp right behind me um, of a show that we're supposed to play. And I think that day they canceled the show like a week before that. And then the day that that show was supposed to take place, they announced the lockdowns of the state of emergency here in Pittsburgh. And uh, my fiance and I were out to eat at Fogo de Chao, a, a Brazilian steakhouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about. And uh, we were sitting there eating. And I remember just kind of looking around our phones vibrating. We both looked at him and said, uh, Pennsylvania is not a state of emergency. And I, we were just kind of looking around like, oh, you're like, it is. Cool. It looks pretty good in here. Yeah. You know, we were just, uh, I'm pretty sure we were chowing down on some flank steak or some uh, picanha, something like that. But yeah, that was, uh, it was fucked up, man. Just, you know, all of a sudden, hey, we're not playing music anymore. Um, but I guess I'm kind of lucky in the fact that here in southwestern Pennsylvania, a lot of the guys that play music are all kind of boomer cons or at okay. least of conservative blood. And all these guys were like, fuck this. We don't want to do this. And uh, we had pretty bad lockdowns here in Pennsylvania, but most of the people that I kind of hang around with, a lot of the people that play music here, since we're about an hour north of Pittsburgh, which okay. is like the main city, everybody's pretty red and like, hey, we don't want to put up with this shit up here. Yeah, that's that's that was the worst part about Austin is how many of them were like, yeah, we need to this is scary as shit, man, we need to stay home. And I would see some of them I know, literally typing on Facebook saying, this is what we have government for to give us checks while we're in danger and can't work. And it's just like, wow, okay. So that was kind of a turnoff for me, shockingly. Yeah, just yeah, kind of slowly withdrew from some of that. Yeah, and I really can't blame you. Like I said, I'm kind of lucky here. Um, I remember we played a show. They kind of lightened up the lockdowns about a month later, and they put them back on again. And then that summer, we ended up opening for Steel Panther at the oh. Butler Drive-In. 
Oh yeah, dude. Sold out show over a thousand people. I never played a show and had people honk their horns at me, but it was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Like doing the clapping thing, like at the Joe Biden rallies where they're just honking. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I, do you know my, I have a friend up there um, who's in a hardcore band that's a liber- paleo libertarian named Taylor? Do you oh know yeah, you, you know what's funny is I had him on the show, and him and I actually went to high school together. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, super super small world. Yeah. Um, I've known him probably since we were in middle school, and his brother was a year younger than me. But yeah, yeah, he's a uh, super good dude. His band kicks ass. Um, I honestly kind of wish I played some heavier stuff like that. A Common Crown's more like alternative metal, harder rock, but okay. I, I love what we do. We're actually opening for us. We were supposed to open for Stephen Piercy last month of Rat, but um, yeah. he actually ended up getting COVID. <laughs> now we're going to oh, be opening okay. for him uh, next month. Rad. Okay. Round and yeah. round. That's awesome. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So um, what kind of music got you into uh, playing music? I, I, you mentioned punk rock a little bit. But um, I also remember you mentioning you played for some of the Ron Paul rallies. I did, yeah. And there's a guy named Jimmy Vaughn, uh, who's the brother of of the blues guitarist that's passed away, Stevie Ray Vaughn. And Stevie was big worldwide, but Jimmy's bigger in certain Europe countries, but certainly in Texas, he's huge. He was in a band called the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Well, he's a big now he's a big Trump kind of Alex Jones type. And I say that with no negativity in any way, but he was he was a big Ron Paul guy. And Ron Paul knew that. So the campaign knew it. And Jimmy, it was like old. He does like 40s, 50s kind of blues. And I knew him. He knew uh, the uh, kind of a band that I played with at the time. And he's like, look, the Ron Paul campaign wants me to play these events for him. But I don't want to take my all my guys. They're not into politics and they don't want to do all this kind of stuff. But you guys love Ron Paul. And I love I want to like strip down kind of the sound. and, And I don't need all the horns. And let's just play a four piece and do like old school blues. And of course we're like, okay. And he's like, yeah, the main event we're going to do is up in Minneapolis and I'll, we're going to go on my tour van. I mean, excuse me, I'm used to our level van, a bus <laughs> tour bus. And we're like, okay. Um, so yeah, we went up there in Minneapolis, did that. And then, uh, and then in St. Pete in 2012, again, in his bus, it was something else. Uh, Met a lot, you know, got to see Ron Paul, meet Ron Paul several times. And Tom Woods was up there. Jesse Ventura was at one of them. Um, it was it was really neat. Interestingly enough, at the 2012 when Rand spoke, and I guess there was some heat on him then for from people in our kind of circles, but he got booed when he walked up there. I don't remember why people didn't like him at the time, but it was interesting and kind of awkward because I'm like, guys, it's Ron Paul's son. He, Ron's still in the building. And it's just weird. <laughs> it was a stadium. We're playing it, you yeah. know basketball stadium so there's you know shit fifteen thousand people holy shit yeah that was the most people i've ever played in front of um it was it was uh slightly nerve-wracking but cool yeah um i don't know if it would have been the same experience there i'm guessing it was but uh when we opened for still panther i remember my drummer hitting the uh snare um to kind of do the sound check and i remember it bouncing in my chest i'm like oh my god dude this is so freaking cool because i'm sure you share the same experience but when you're a kid you go to concerts and you just can't wait for them to open up and you feel the music in your chest it's just the environment but uh when you're the one playing it it's a whole different freaking feeling and there's something cool about just plugging in and just getting that feeling of the thunder there's uh some magic to it and that's uh that transcends politics and all that stuff. And yes, it does. 
yeah. is that's the other thing about the libertarian party and what i've kind of seen and trump and ron paul both kind of brought this to light is that they made politics fun right yep so uh-huh. um that butler rally in pennsylvania right where trump had over fifty thousand people come there that's like an hour away from where i live right all my coworkers came back from that that following uh you know week and they all could not stop talking about it right yeah but think about that there's something very very important about people going out having a good time because you know we can go to these lp meetings but if nobody's having fun and nobody really cares you know it's like what's people really gain so you know we if you want to have a successful libertarian movement then like i was saying earlier you need more interesting people better people people seem to make the movement something to like people are excited to get involved in people are excited to get involved with ron paul people are excited for donald trump to go to his rallies because he's such a freaking character you know i i I have many criticism but he he made politics you know not necessarily mainstream but he made it fun and even bernie somehow because you wouldn't right yeah looking at bernie's demeanor is such a grumpy just old guy in, in sour face all the time. But for whatever reason, what he was saying, I'd see his rallies. There were, he had big ones in Austin. I didn't go to him, but I'd see these videos on Facebook. And I was like, I kind of felt like pissed, like, damn, they're all really, that's like a fun fucking rally. And and the same with Trump. She, I've never seen, uh, until, except for the Ron Paul rallies, basically, the energy that Trump and plus the energy that he himself had, this dude's older than my, he's about as old as my father. I could not believe he's flying around state to state in the same day. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I, you know, maybe you can relate. I'm tired after a workout and a sauna session. <laughs> There's no way I could like bounce around from stage to stage in four cities in one day and just take it all in. And he's up there like he's 20 years old. It was nuts. And I'd never seen a crowd of people chant to a politician we love you. Yeah. Something else. There's, you know, as anti-statists, there's something a little creepy a, a bit about that. But at the yeah. same time, I was like, there's also something crazy and kind of inspirational. Like, dang, he's like reached, he's touched these people's hearts. Like I've not seen politicians do before. Well, you know, it, it's so funny because all he had to do really was say, I don't hate you. Right. Yeah. I'm they on hate here. you, And yeah. I hate them. Right. Yeah. They hate you. I don't, I'm on your side, even though you could argue that maybe he wasn't entirely, but just saying that dude wins people over. And that goes back to this whole, you know, I don't want to say necessarily just post libertarian thing, but the GOP strategy is that if you meet people where they're at and you just don't tell me you hate them, you, you know, you you tell them you don't hate them and you're willing to talk to them, hear them out. After eight years of Obama, you got told you're racist and you're misogynist, you know, whatever for eight years. And Granted, there were some people that probably were legitimately bad people for the sake of being bad people, but that definitely was not anywhere near the majority, as with everything. But it it amazes me that libertarians won't take note of that and think, wow, if you just kind of meet people where they're at and maybe push them in one direction or another, then who knows where we could be in you know just a couple of years and especially taking note of trump just how much people really really liked him and you know to the extent that people would go for him and go to bat for him like i'm pretty sure my one of the uh, lead techs at the last shop i worked at he was one of the top donors in pennsylvania for trump i, I mean people loved him yeah 
but and, and that's basically a blue collar guy as the top donor. Yep. Not yep. Raytheon, not you know those, not the credit card banks. Those are all going to Biden, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that speaks volumes in itself. Right. I mean, these are dudes who put on a work uniform every single morning, turn wrenches, and drive their trucks back and forth to work. I mean, these are not loaded rich guys. They're making less than six figures a year, busting their knuckles. And you know, I couldn't tell them anything bad about the guy. And even the stuff that they should criticize him for, they wouldn't criticize him for it. But that goes to show you how much the base really, really liked this guy. And I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but there's huge opportunities in 2022 and 2024 for somebody to kind of, you know, pull that energy and, you know, really move things in the libertarian direction if someone's willing to do it. I don't know who's going to do it, I, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And um, definitely when it comes to a local level, I think that people realize that a lot of politics is local as well. Yes, exactly. You're exactly right. I, I've started to think that it's going to be hard to get a 100% pure libertarian elected at even a state level. Now, locally, again, that's probably a little easier, but putting our energy behind campaigns and people, if you're into campaigns and, and political stuff, that would allow you to be as libertarian as you can in your life without coercion on you or force, for instance, I'm, I'm sure we all realize that Tho has a much more libertarian life than Dave Smith mm -hmm. or Thaddeus Russell, who's in California, because he lives under Ron DeSantis. Now, someone might say, and you mentioned the neocon thing earlier, there's been people that said, well, what is his policy on Israel? It's like, I don't think that Tho cares. Who cares what his policy is? <laughs> What's Gavin Newsom's? I don't know, but we know that Gavin Newsom sucks. And so certain with it in Florida, at least in Texas, for sure, the Republican Party, you're going to have to work to push that in the direction to where people that are elected with under the Republican name allow you to be as free as you'd like to be. It's not ever going to be perfect. I just interviewed Alan West, uh, who's primarying Governor Abbott. He's ahead of Governor Abbott in the polls right now, so he could likely be the next governor. He was based and awesome until I asked about marijuana, and he doesn't want to legalize it. I would just, I disagree with him on that. However, if you look at reality and the situation we're in where it's going to be Beto O'Rourke or possibly uh, Alan West, if, if he does beat Abbott in the primary, that's the two options. Uh, Beto probably wants to legalize weed. I'm certain of it. In fact, <laughs> even if he doesn't, he'll say he does just to get yeah. just to get extra votes. But the other guy's against vaccine mandates. He's against lockdowns. He's against mask mandates. He's against uh, forced public schooling where you have no school choice. He's pro homeschooling. I'll take all of that for in this moment that we're in right now over worried about if I can smoke weed or not. Yeah, honestly, I don't see any problem with that at all. And I know some. I can hear libertarians reading off in the background right now because, oh my God, he doesn't want to legalize drugs. It's like, look, I agree. I, and I do want to, I want them all legal. <laughs> However, if the two main guys, that's the one key issue. It's like when I used to tell the lefties back in the day, look at Ron Paul. Again, I was naive. Look how good he is on X, Y, Z. And I'd go down the list and they would say, ah, but he's, he's, uh, he's not, he's pro-life. And it's like, yeah, 
that's like the that's your issue is that you're pro-choice he wants to end the federal reserve he wants to end the wars he wants to end the drug war he's pro second it's like but he's pro-life and i thought dude that's your that's the hill you're gonna die on and the other options mccain or barack obama (laughs) okay yeah and and, i mean that speaks volumes to how close-minded and how kind of I don't know what the right word I'm looking for here is, but like how how people don't kind of expand out, you know, like, hey, maybe you could work on that one small thing yes. and maybe you should give ground where, you know, you should prioritize things, right? Like I've never smoked weed or a cigarette a day in my life. Don't ever plan to, but like if, if I had those options, sorry, I could deal with weed being illegal, but I cannot deal with lockdowns again. Correct. Yeah. Like that's the ultimate thing that affects everyone. And again, I want all drugs to be legal. And I would rather someone like Alan West win the governorship in Texas and work on the people that are in his cabinet from our levels, organic levels upward and work on that issue with him. Try to try to persuade him. That's what I'd rather have. You know, we could work on the again, maybe in the next term, he's willing to legalize medical marijuana. And then, you know, you can push the marijuana thing isn't the hill to die on now because let's face it in 10 to 15 years, it's pretty much going to be everywhere. Yeah. So uh, I'm more scared of, of lockdowns being everywhere in 10 years. And so I'd rather have someone that fights that right now. Yeah. You know, I really couldn't agree more. And it it is amazing how short-sighted some libertarians are. And like I said, I've kind of had to change my stance on this because I was staunchly, you know, biased to the Libertarian Party because I'm like, well, they close the line to my principles. But, you know, I I just don't know how people aren't radicalized over these last two years. And, um, you know, now today, I'm sure you probably saw it, but everyone's talking about the Supreme Court ruling of, you know, thank God they shot down the vaccine mandates at large. But, Mm -hmm. you know, now you have to mandate, um, what was it, 84 million healthcare workers have to get a vaccine or quit and it's it's kind of funny if you put on your critical thinking lens then they're complaining about hospitals being overrun right mm-hmm. they ignore natural immunity and a lot of these nurses probably were exposed to COVID and got over it and there's a lot of younger nurses out there because all the girls i know that are my age went to school for nursing and are ready to go out and if you're my age and you're healthy i had COVID back in march did freeze it, it, it like wasn't even a thing yeah same now obviously you're your mileage may vary, whatever, but so these nurses are more than likely immune, but you're going to tell them they have to stick a needle in their arm, which by a lot of the science that I've read, doesn't look like it's too good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but your complaint, the hospitals are overrun, but you just put all these nurses out of work. Yep. It's almost like they want it to look bad. So yeah. that way, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's and that's uh, the hammer analogy sums it up i think quite well that's exactly it seems to be at this point you to have the john stossel outlook uh and say what's the matter with these people are they just not getting it and it's like no they get it they're evil you know it just sucks to come to that realization but once you do it's not really black pilled so much it's almost a white pill like at least you know what you're facing yeah well you know better to uh 
that old Kurt Cobain saying is cliche as it is better to be uh, loved for uh, or better to be hated for who you are than loved for who you're not. So, you know, as long as yeah. you know what you're up against, then, you know, you could bring your fucking worst or best to it. So kind of tailing off that though, like me, you're a blue collar guy. What kind of made you go out to be a firefighter? And I meant to tell you this earlier, but my fiance is a volunteer firefighter and my uncle's volunteer firefighter as well. Oh, really cool. That's, that's cool. There's uh in the volunteer scene, at least, and back in my day when I did it, there wasn't many females. So that's cool that uh, there is, I guess, at least, I don't, I don't know if she's the only one, but that's, that's cool that they're becoming more accepting of that. Not to sound like a leftist, but I, that, that is important in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I have two females on my crew and they are uh, badass. Um, my, every man on my mom's family, in my mom's, on my mom's side of the family, I should say, were firefighters. And I didn't even think about it as a teenager didn't even cross my mind one time i was so into music and slightly uh, political like i mentioned and so i was thinking of routes down those two interests and then one day i was driving to my grandfather's house around 18 and i thought i need to figure something out soon i'm an adult oh he was a firefighter that seems like a cool job and i got there and started talking and it went from there they were like yeah do it do it do it and so I did that. And uh, it's one of those things outside of podcasting and, of course, playing drums. Sometimes I'm not sure what else I could do. Um, I, I, I think about it now, but I mean, I've thought about it throughout the years. And there's been many times where I think, God, I don't have a clue. I guess I could work at Jiffy Lube and change oil or something. <laughs> like, I honestly didn't know. Yeah. And now I do the show and I think, well, I could definitely do this. And I, if I wanted to, you understand that I would, I'm not sure I'd want to be a full-time musician. My friends that do that, that is not easy. It is not a fun schedule. It's uh, it's rough. And yeah. I'm 45 years old. I, I don't want to do that. I could, but yeah, the, I've done this since I was 19 firefighting. So uh, yeah, I love it. It's the best job in the world to me, unless you want pro wrestling. I wish I would have got into when I was young. I've watched that since I was four. That's a, that's so, a of a turn. Yeah. yeah, sorry. To, sorry to. T I don't want to take it down the Mark Claire nerd route, but him, him and I are going to start a wrestling podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it when I was a kid, but I'm not anywhere near as familiar with it as I uh, once was. So, you know what? My family, as I said earlier, um, everybody on my dad's side of the family had been mechanics for years. My dad's owned his shop for 20 years. Um, my family owned golf stations over in New Kensington and Creighton for years and years. I mean, back in like the seventies, my grandfather's making like 50 grand a year, which, you know, is huge, huge. Oh yeah. yeah. They, my grandfather owned 14 Corvettes. And one of my fondest memories as a kid was driving, um, driving around his Corvette, which my dad still has to this day. Um, he has a 2000 Corvette silver convertible, right? I remember riding all around everywhere with my grandfather as a kid with the top down. And that was just something that always stuck with me. And my dad has that now. It has like over 650 rural horsepower. I mean, this is like under three seconds, zero to 60. It is fucking quick. And um, my uncle Bob, great uncle Bob passed away. He was my grandfather's brother. And he had a 83 Corvette with 1600 miles on it. Or no, not 83. Um, with 1600, that's it? came from florida too so um my, my dad has both of them now because unfortunately they're both deceased but um was there kind of moments as a kid that um kind of inspired you to be a firefighter did you ever go for a ride on the trucks or anything like that no Never. that's what's so weird to me oh. everyone tells like has these cool stories like yours knowing cars when you're that young you became a mechanic 
most firefighters I work with uh, went to fire stations and, you know, did all the touring. I never even entered one. <laughs> I started the fire academy. And of course, then at that point, you go to fire stations. But I was so, oh, no, you know what? I, I became a volunteer, uh, much like your fiance and, and, and other family members. I did that first. And so, yeah, that was my first time in a fire station. I walked around like, wow, I don't know what a lot of this shit is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's weird that I never was exposed to it. My family, my mom and dad split and I moved to California. So I wasn't around my grandparents and stuff like that. So that's obviously part of it. But yeah, I never did. Not as a kid at all. Never even thought about it. Wow. And yeah. now I... Like I said, I don't can't think of much else that I could do or would do. So yeah, it's weird. No, dude, I feel the same way because I'm like, man, I would love to do something else other than fix cars because I've been doing it for ten years. But like, man, what else would I do? Like, I I've done this for ten hours a day for the last like, you know, now seven years ever since I got out of high school. Even when I was in high school, I was working part time for a dealership. But it's like, what the hell else would I do? You know, this this is all I know. This is my life. For summers, I'd go work for my dad. Um, but that you know, kind of tailing onto that as well. There's a, a sense of humor about people who, um, you know, kind of fix cars and work blue collar jobs. Um, I'll, I'll have to tell you a story off air just because I could not say it for anybody to hear not one on one, but um, I'm sure you kind of get what I'm getting at here. Um, I'm thankful for the experiences that I had as a younger guy working in a shop, right? So I started working for a Chevy dealership, real small town, right? I, I mean, like, it was the kind of place where you would see people you know all the time, like a 14 base shop with like 10 techs working in it. And I was making minimum wage at 19 years old working in a dealership, changing oil, getting my ass handed to me every single day. And my God, if I was a minute late, these people would ream me the fuck out. I mean, I got screamed at, you're not, you know, you're just paid to do, you're not paid to think. But looking back at that now, I wish a lot of people my age and younger had that same experience yep. because it really built character. And now every morning I'm up, as soon as the alarm goes off, every day I'm on time to work, never call off always there to do the duty. Um, did you kind of have that work ethic instilled into you from uh, the kind of blue collar environment as well? Yeah, you had to. There was this rule a long time ago. I haven't seen it in years. I haven't even been mentioned, but, and, and like, I, I, I should preface this with this. The fire service has, let's say, changed. I've been in it 25 uh, years. It's changed over the, over the, <laughs> over the years. Uh, in many ways, but obviously people can't say the same things that they used to say. And so, uh, but they used to tell us, and I think it was a rule. If you're late three times, you're fired. And I was like, in your whole career. Yep. Wow. You know, that's a little bit scary. And so, yeah, when you hear things like that, like being on time, being early and it's cordial, it's etiquette to, if you relieve at noon, you don't get there at 1159 and go, got you, bro. You know, I'm on your spot on the truck. That's just assholeish. So, you know, you get there an hour early, kind of do your thing, let the people go that you're relieving. Yeah, that work ethic was installed. It's interesting also because I've noticed over the years, like I said, the department's changed, the culture's changed, some for the better. Uh, these people that come into it now, I went, like I said, I started at 19. I was too young, probably. Like I was, I'm working with guys that look like my grandfather at the time. 
and I'm 19, like an idiot. Like I look back like, oh my God, I'm so glad the internet didn't exist. I'm so glad smartphone, I would have been fired. I've been made a fool of myself. So these kids have more distractions now, but there's people that come in, they're like 32 and all they've done is work at an office, like a crappy office or this one kid I knew sold just T-Mobile phones in the mall. And it's like, wow, what a different life you have had in your 20s than I had in mine. Like I live and breathe this stuff, not to sound cliche, but like that's this is all I've known. And this dude was like harassing people in the mall. Hey, buy this phone plan. It's such a different. So you get these people now that come from an office and they're kind of soft at first and they get to the academy and they can't the mile and a half. You have to be under 12 minutes. And some are coming that look like they would be in shape and they're hitting 14 minutes. And it's like, dude, did you not prepare at all for this? <laughs> like, you can't just sit at a desk and do nothing and then go, oh, I quit. In two days, I start the fire academy and the push-up stuff. It's just like, and the academies have gotten slightly easier over the years, we can say. Like, there's no way they could do now to the kids what they did to <laughs> when I came in. But but still it's just it's just a different culture i think in general now with younger people they expect a little bit more they kind of show more of an attitude it's just stuff like you want to just slap them and be like man if you would have had this attitude when i came in they would have ridden you so fucking hard you'd be taped flowered to a chair thrown in the street embarrassed but yeah you can't do all that stuff yeah yeah i mean it definitely wasn't that bad for me but i mean it was like known like look you need to be here you need to be on time present and you need to work when you're here like yep. you don't sit there and twiddle your thumbs you don't play with your phone you know if you're paid hourly especially then guess what you you know as soon as there's nothing to do you pick up a room you clean up the whole shop you wash everything everything has to be clean yep i mean that was the way it was for me working for 725 an hour at 19 years old right so for me now granted i make a lot more money now but um, I respect all the money that I make now because I look back at then, I'm like, man, I didn't make anything. Like I got a job at a uh, tire shop out in Ohio when I moved out for college, I was making $9 an hour. And I'm like, oh my God, thank the Lord, $9 an hour. But you know what? Everybody should have that kind of experience. Everybody should have that kind of gratefulness. So that way, when you get to the point where you're an adult, you're established, you're making money, um, and you finally started to build your life, you're grateful for it and you don't just feel entitled to come in and get your check and leave you know you feel like you put your time because you're going to respect it a lot more and you're going to respect you know other people's stuff and everything else a lot more yes yeah exactly you and you respect those who came before you you don't have the attitude of like oh we're all the same it's like no we're all not the same you just <laughs> got here and so you're going to go through what i went through and you it will build character and work ethic and discipline and all of that kind of thing yeah, and I think that's hugely important. And I hate to sit here and shit on millennials, but you know, I, I kind of get the stereotypes. You yes. know, you um, see a lot of people going for oh, free college, free this, free that. Well, you know, what did you do to earn that? And nobody ever talks about the responsibility end. Like, okay, so no. if you want all these additional privileges or rights, as you may call them, then what additional responsibility are you willing to take on? Because this isn't just an unlimited pool you can reach from and get whatever you want. You know, that, you know, your privileges, your rights always come with that bit of responsibility as well. So are you going to pull your weight or are you just here for, you know, free ride? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think it was Harry Brown that I read, like I said, in 2000, 
he had some speech or something in the book and he said that rights and responsibility are the same coin, just the opposite sides, but you, you know, you had to have both to have the coin. And that's stuck with me ever since. Yeah, no, I can completely see why. Um, Buck, I've kept you for probably close to an hour now. Um, I've been thinking about a question to ask all my guests. So, um, I guess I'll ask this. Um, what does liberty look like to you um, in today's world? Mm. <laughs> in today's world, it's hard to see it. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Texas, so that helps. What does it look like? It looks like small communities of people, of like-minded individuals living as they please without coercion towards their neighbors and uh, with possibly, if you have to have a government, at least it's just one that keeps people from from entering other communities they shouldn't enter or 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 harming other people otherwise doing as you please religiously work wise fun wise and just don't uh hurt other people don't invade their property that kind of thing i know mean, i know that gets cliche but i picture it i would say the main thing that i've changed on is i picture it very small entities um, like I said, this town's 13,000. I certainly wouldn't want it to get to even 20,000. But if we could have just checkerboards of that all over the place, and you think, well, those guys do heroin and that entity over there, I'll move there. These guys don't want that over here. All right, cool. I don't want that either. This is more of a Catholic grouping over here. That's kind of what it looks like to me. Cool. What does health look like to you? Mm, that's a good question. I like that you asked that. Uh, Good health or health? Uh, where do I mean, you want to go with it? I, let's, I'll say good health looks like to stop putting, I mean, and this is cliche too. I didn't mention when I was a teenager, I worked at Whole Foods and I remember them saying, look, count the ingredients on our products and then count the ingredients at, at Albertsons or eight, at the big chain grocery stores around here. Uh, quit putting fake things into your body. Try to put natural organic things into your body. Um, Sleep. Most people suck at sleep, and I do. I I'm, I'm a firefighter, and that's always an issue. Every third day, I sometimes I suck at it. But sleep is so big, and people kind of push that to the wayside uh, and quit being addicted to things that aren't good for you. I know. I know. I understand that people just have this addiction in their genetics at some point. I don't know all the science behind that, but at least switch to coffee if you can do that. I know a lot of people do that when they quit drinking. But uh, yeah, just focus. Uh, another thing I like, work out every day and read every day and get good sleep at night and don't put fake things into your body. That's what I would say. I, I, I found this workout routine that, uh, that had reading in it. And I thought that was awesome. I didn't do the rest of the routine, but I took that reading part and added it to my own workout routine. And I try to read every morning and then at some point during the day, and then I try to work out every day in some manner. Awesome. Well, I think those were two awesome answers. Um, this was an awesome conversation, man. I'd love to do it again sometime. Me too. Um, go ahead and plug your stuff, dude. And we'll get out of here. Oh, it's the Counterflow podcast, Counterflow with Buck Johnson. It's on YouTube. Search that and you'll find it. Subscribe if you can. Uh, that's You'll find it any pod catcher. And uh, let's see, counterflowpodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at Buck Rebel, B-U-C-K-R-E-B-E-L. Cool. All right, everybody. This was In Liberty and Health. Until next time.